Blog Talk Radio. Well, good morning, everybody. Amen. It's good to see you this morning in God's house. Amen. We're going to take our songbook out, take a red book out, let's stand to our feet, and we're going to turn to number 72 and sing My Savior's Love for Me. Number 72. Thank you. 
give Miss Joanne their number. She'll get them on there. She'll get them on the list. Anybody else? Other? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Miss Linda. Anybody else? Miss Charlotte. Okay. All right. Dan, how you feeling this morning? Everybody stay away from him. Don't pull no knife on Dan today. Other than that, he'd be all right. Amen. We love you, brother. We're praying for your healing. We're praying steadily for your healing. We're praying God give you good days. Amen. All right. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Anybody else? Yes, Cole. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I wish he was able to be with us this morning. Uh, my brother, I'm just going to just lay it out there and tell you, my brother's got a drinking problem, and the alcohol's going to kill him if he doesn't stop drinking. He's he's drank for years, and uh, he's to the point where the doctor said if he doesn't stop, it's going to kill him. So he's, his, his, every time he does, his blood sodium drops and bottoms out, and uh, he, uh, you know, they they say it should be about 130. I know you're shaking your head. It should be about 135. Uh, when he had the wreck about a month or two ago, it was at 111, and they said he should have been convulsing in the floor of the van on the way down the road, but he didn't. Well, his sister picked him up, took him to Sherman to get a blood panel drawn, and and uh, when they got back, the nurse had called after she got off work on her cell phone. She got the report on the sodium, and it was at 102. So he went directly to the quality ER and into the emergency room. They got his podium back up, but He's at the point where he's not, he doesn't see it as serious as everybody else does. So we're probably going to have him committed to, to get treatment. And y'all please pray because that's going to be a hard, hard thing amongst our family. But we got to do it. See, you know, I'd rather him hate me and live than him to die and not hate him, you know, because I didn't care. And also, I look at it this way there's too many people riding down these roads that made a car wreck getting killed because of something he did. So y'all please pray for us. That's a difficult thing, and I, I just I need your prayers. Um, also, my Aunt Mary Ruth, pray for her. Uh, pray for my friend Dean Usey. Pray for my friend Dale Parks, who's, uh, he told me his his red cell, blood cell count was low, and he's dealing with cancer. Pray for him as well. Yeah. Wow. There's been a lot of people passed away over that here lately. A lot of people up in Arkansas that I know. And really Bubba, yeah. Bubba need, and Bubba, his friend Bubba needs to be mentioned. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's hell like good. Yeah, that's an awesome part. Yeah. Yeah. My wife, my wife as well. She's she's completely wore down to a nub, and she's and her health ain't good. Uh, just pray that pray that God strengthens her too. Um, anything else? Let's go to the Lord pray for Saint Scott and Amen. You be seated. Y'all pray for me too. 
Oh, Lord God, I pray you empower me. Preach through me today. Preach, Father, I pray. Give me the power of the Holy Ghost to use me. Lord, give each one here the same power to hear and receive and to understand. And we're going to give you all the glory and the praise for it, Lord. Lord, we pray your Holy Spirit stir in our midst, Lord. Stir amongst us. Lord, poke at us. Prick at our hearts. Show us our need. Show us what we need to get rid of. Show us we need to come to you. Lord, and I know that when we come to you, we'll find what we're looking for. Because all that we need is found in thee. And we give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we're just going to go verse by verse on this this morning, but there's some good things I want you to see in this. But let me just back up and remind you of last week. Peter and John, at the hour of the evening prayer, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, they go up to the temple. I mean, consider this. Jesus was just crucified by these people who run the temple. They hated him. They rejected him. They sent him to be to be beaten and crucified. He was mocked and scorned by them. And here goes Peter and John, just as bold as anybody you've ever seen, walking right up there amongst them, looking for something. Now, what were they looking for? I tell you what they were looking. They were. I told you last week. They were fishers of men. Am I right? They went where the fish were biting. They went where the men were hungry. They went where they knew they'd catch them. And they went, and like I said last week, the Jews, the Bible says the Jews require a sign, but the Greeks seek after wisdom. They were Jews, and, 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 you know, they didn't know what God was going to do, but they knew God was going to do something. They went with an expectation that God would move. I dare say there's a lot of churches that will meet this morning, and the pastor don't expect anything to happen, and he won't be disappointed. Oh, Charles Spurgeon is a preacher of the past. He said, blessed are they, I think he said it went like this, he said, blessed are they that expect nothing, for they shall be rewarded. Amen? We need to expect God to move. And they did when they went up that temple. And here they come. They're walking in through the gate that's called Beautiful, the beautiful gate, walking up there into Solomon's porch. And as they go, they see this man who's laid there at the gate. He's been laid there his entire life. Everybody there knew him. That's old so-and-so. He's been laying there begging for money his whole life. And he was probably just a fixture around there. And uh, and as they walked by, he begged and said, hey, can I, sirs, can I have something? I need some help me out with something, a little something will do, or whatever he said. And Peter looked, Peter and John looked down at him, and they fixed their eyes upon him. He said, look at us. Separate yourself from everything else that's going on. You focus right in here. And Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have given unto thee. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And he grabbed hold of his arm, and he pulled him up, and the guy leaped up, and his bones, which had never had any strength, his legs, which didn't have any muscles, suddenly were solid and firm, and he had strength, and he was leaping and jumping and praising God, hugging them, and suddenly the crowd came rushing together to see what in the world has happened to this guy that's been crippled their whole life. That's where we find ourselves. Just to set the scene. Now, I want you to understand something. This caused a big uproar. All right? That's what we're going to look at. We're going to look this morning at religious persecution, the beginning of the church's persecution. So, begin there in verse 1. Follow with me in your, in your Bible. And as they spake unto the people. So this is still going on. They're still, and, and remember, Peter preached. He preached another sermon. And what did he preach? He preached that Christ is the Messiah, that you crucified him, and that he died, was buried, and rose again, and you must believe on him to be saved. 
That is the apostolic message. When you see the apostles preaching the Word of God, they're not preaching on how to be better people in this world. They're not trying to teach you how to be wealthy or how to be well. They're preaching on Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, crucified, risen, and coming again. That's what they preached. And that's the message we all should preach. So, as they spake unto the people, time had passed. He'd been preaching. People were gathering, getting in closer. They, other apostles that uh, more than likely were there. We don't see that, but they, more likely other apostles may have come and, 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 and began to minister. Or maybe it's just Peter and John, but regardless, people are gathering in and, and, and getting saved right and left. And the Bible said, and as they spake unto the people, the priests, now these were Pharisees. Y'all remember the Pharisees, right? All high and mighty, better than everybody, and, and want to get rid of Jesus. That was it. It was them, they came, and the Bible says on the captain of the temple. You say, well, who was that? They were like the, the temple cops, chief of police of the temple. Brought him with them. And the Sadducees. So who are the Sadducees? Well, they were the, they were the majority ruling religious slash political class of the moment. The Pharisees were the minority, kind of like you got Democrats and and Republicans, you got majority and minority. Well, the Sadducees were the majority. You know, they were different than the Pharisees. They didn't believe like the Pharisees. The, the Sadducees, they believed in the first five books of the Bible. They believed they were inspired, the five books of Moses, the Pentateuch. But they didn't believe that any of the rest of the Old Testament was inspired. They thought it was like commentary. And so since the first five books of the Bible don't mention the resurrection, they don't believe the resurrection. So they hated any teaching on the resurrection from the dead. Notice what it said, verse 2. And being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. It made them want to cuss and scream and pull their hair out. It truly did. These religious, big shot, stuffed shirts, I mean, they were hot. I mean, you think about it. They were disgusted that these ignorant fishermen were teaching with authority in their house. I want you to think for just a second. I want you to absorb the scene. I want you to imagine if we gathered up about 10,000 showing up sold out red hot on fire for God Baptist, and we went down to Dallas, 10,000 of us, and we went into the biggest synagogue in Dallas, and had an impromptu message on the saving power of the blood of Jesus Christ right amongst all those Jews that rejected. Would that be uncomfortable? I think so. It might be a little bit. Well, you see, that's kind of the situation. That was their house. They were preaching works. They were preaching keeping the law. They, 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 listen, they had rejected Christ. It bugged them that these men came up in there and began to teach in their own house. So they were angry that they came up there and had the nerve, the audacity to stand up in there. And I mean, they had no credentials. What credentials did you have? You have none. Where'd you go to school? You didn't go to school. You got no credentials. It reminds me, I heard about the O.J. Simpson case. Y'all, y'all remember O.J. and y'all remember what happened, right? Okay. When they were having the case, they brought in a forensic scientist. And uh, they got him up on the stand, and the, and the, the, the defense, or whoever it was, the opposing lawyer, began to attack this man 
and began to try to, get, uh, to discredit him, said, where is, your, where is your credential, sir? said, where did you go to school for forensic science? He said, I didn't go to school for forensic science. He said, well, then how in the world do you know anything about this subject? He said, I wrote the book on it. <laughs> he wrote the book they studied in college, in forensic science class. Hey, listen, they, these apostles may not have had the credentials of this world, but they had been with Jesus. They had been walking with Jesus for three years. They knew, the, they knew who God was, and they knew the power of God. They knew the power in Christ. So it bugged them that they taught. But it also bugged them what they taught, because they were preaching Jesus. you got to understand something, folks. They were in complete rebellion against the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin was like the Supreme Court in the United States. They were in complete rebellion against them. Now, I mean, there's people, they're Christians, they're like, well, they shouldn't have been doing that. They wasn't doing right. They all kept their mind, kept their mouth shut and obeyed the authorities. I mean, that's the way a lot of people look at things, and they're wrong. They're dead wrong. Now, hold your, hold your thought before you, before, before you take me the wrong way. These people, the Sanhedrin, had condemned Jesus to death as an imposter, as a phony. The apostles and all these new believers are in opposition to the law of the land. And they are preaching and proclaiming Jesus. I mean, I've heard people say all the time, you know, the Bible just says we ought to obey the law of the land. I'm still looking for that scripture. It ain't in there. That's not in the Bible. That's not, that my, preacher, are you saying we ought to be anarchists and rebels? No, sir, I'm not saying that at all. And you'll understand what I mean before I'm done. But I'm here to tell you, obeying the law of the land ain't in the Bible. We obey the Word of God. Word of God ought to usurp the law of the land every single time. So, like I said, they were proclaiming Jesus right there in that place where they, the same people that condemned him. But worst of all, they're proclaiming that he had risen from the dead. So they are really, really making them angry. This was in direct opposition to the majority political religious party in power at that time, the Sadducees, and they were furious. Having 10,000 people up in here rejoicing, shouting, and praising God in Solomon's porch. 10,000 is a lot of people, folks. Like I said, how many is in Clarksville? How many people in Clarksville? Somebody knows the city limit sign. What does it say? Come on, y'all. I know Paris is 30, and it's like nowhere close. It must be somewhere around 15. I don't know. I'm guessing. 10,000, that's nearly everybody in this town. That's a lot of people. And standing in one lot up there rejoicing, shouting, and praising God. And here come the religious leader. What in the world are we going to do with this? Oh, I want to pull my hair out. I can't believe they're saying these things. You just read through it. You don't think about all that. Now, you had thousands of people hearing and believing this message. It's the very same thing Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. So these religious leaders were very shaken. But, well, I would have been too by them. It looked like an uprising going on right there in their own house. They were shaken, they were threatened, and they were terrified. This is going to take over. Hey, it wouldn't be hard to see. This may take over. We're in trouble. So what did they do? 
Look at verse 3. And they laid hands on them. That don't mean they come up and put their hands on them and said, Brother, let me pray for you. No, that means they wanted to arrest them. They grabbed them. They put their hands behind their back. Put the cuffs on them. I don't know if that's how they did it. But you know what? They may have tied their hands. However they did it, they arrested them. They laid hands on them and put them in hold. They put them in the jail until the next day. For it was now even tied. They arrested Peter and John. They arrested all the apostles. They arrested the two preachers that came there representing the Lord. They preached and they proclaimed Jesus Christ for, for about three hours because he says even died. That, 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 that's six o'clock. So they got there at three and they had a miracle performed and then they've been preaching for three hours and 10,000 people. I'm saying 10,000 because I'm going to show you this here in just a second. They've been pretty effective because look at verse four. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. Now, understand when they say the number of the men there, they're not counting the women. They're only counting the males. They're only counting the men that were there. So let's assume that most of the men had a wife. There's 10,000 people. Let's assume some of them brought their teenage sons and teenage daughters with them. Some of them got saved. Ain't no tell. It could have been anywhere around ten to twelve thousand people got saved that day. That's a big revival taking place right there in a house where they hate Jesus. Now, I want you to understand something. These are bold, genuine conversions. This ain't one of them. Let me slip my hand up on the back row, and I hope nobody sees me because I don't want to get embarrassed. That ain't none of that. Let me tell you something. These were people who were ready to leave everything for Jesus Christ. They were ready to die for Jesus Christ. They were ready to give everything up for him. Whatever he asked, whatever they, what, because they knew he was the only way. They were, they, they were ready for a trial by fire. The truth is that the, the, the truth that they believed here and taught was so radical. It was so opposite from what the authorities promoted and taught that those people couldn't bear it. They couldn't bear it. We can't take these people doing this. This is going to get out of control. we got to stop this. What can we do? So the persecution of the church began. And when I say persecution, I realize sometimes people don't like you here because you're a Christian. They may think you're stupid because you read the Bible and you believe God. But I'm telling you, the persecution here, we're talking about people that were stripped naked and sewed up in animal skins and fed to wild dogs so they could be torn to pieces. We're talking about people that were boiled in oil. We're talking about people that were thrown on spikes. We're talking about people that were put on the rack and stretched until their limbs came apart. We're talking about people that were, that were tied to horses and the horses whipped and separated them. We're, talk, we're talking about people who, who died in the most atrocious ways, but they laid their life down because they would not deny their Lord. And we ain't faced no persecution like that. But I, it's not to say we won't face persecution in America because we, we just about have to. We just about have to. But I'm going to tell you, it's under persecution that a church will grow like fire. It'll spread like fire. <clears throat> you know, the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 3.12, yea, or yes, and all, A-L-L, all that will live godly, that means have a desire and intend to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I mean, if you don't want anybody to know you're a believer, and if you want to be a very weak, watered-down Christian and not have much, uh, much faith,
faith in your life and not have much of God's blessing, I'm sure you could get through life uh, being a compromiser and nobody knowing you're a Christian probably wouldn't by anybody bother you. But you know what? That ain't how God wants you to be, and you know that ain't how God wants you to be. Listen to me. The best thing you can do is raise your voice up and let people know who you belong to. Not be cocky and haughty and proud. No. Be humble, but be, a, but be bold. Be bold. We still live in the land of the free. Even though we're living under, uh, under t- tyrannical oppressors who think that they, they can do anything they want to do because they have the power, I'm here to tell you we serve a God who's more powerful than anybody in Washington, D.C. But I want you to consider, I want us to consider these disciples this morning. I want us to consider how faithful they are. I want us to consider how they stood in such a threatening environment. I mean stood. And we can't say, well, uh, you know, preacher, these are spiritual giants. No. These are baby Christians. They've been saved about a week. Amen? But I'm going to tell you something. When you first get saved, you're ready to do something for God. You're ready, you're ready to hit it hard and hit it fast and do something for the Lord. Because, I mean, listen, you've been saved. You've been set free. You realize it, amen? There's liberty all of a sudden. Some of us, we've been saved so long, we forgot we got liberty. Amen? Listen, but I want to say, number one, I want us to consider. We're going to look at three things before we're done. we got about four, uh, 20 minutes. We're going to make it. Number one, they were submissive to the persecution. They were submissive to the persecution. Now, that may sound foreign to your ears. What do you mean submissive to the persecution? I ain't supposed to just take it, am I? Well, listen, listen to what happened here. Look at verse 5. And it came to pass on the morrow, the next day, that the rulers and elders and scribes and Annas, the high priest. Now, stop. When, Je- when Jesus was led out of the garden, first thing, he was led, first of all, to the house of Annas. He was the older high priest who had basically retired, but they brought him back, and he was allowed to be involved in some different things. And they brought him and Caiaphas. He was the current high priest. And John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. All these men were kin folks. They all kin to each other. It, it, was a, it was a good old boy network back then, just like it is right now. It, it's corrupt. They were corrupt, just like the Clintons just like the Obamas, just like the Bushes and the Bidens, all these families that just they stay in power and, and just feed off everybody else. These, these men, but these men didn't come to power without selling out their own people. These were religious leaders. These were, these were the, the, supposed to be the leaders of the people, but they weren't loyal to the people. They were loyal to Rome. They didn't get the power without being loyal to Rome. So here they have Peter and John for doing what they did, and they have them, they place them in the center of their scrutiny. And I want you to get this. I want you to get this. The next day, the next day, this ain't in the temple. This is in the place where the Sanhedrin meet, and it's a circle. They sit in a 70, 71 men, 70 plus, plus the high priest to be the, the deciding uh, uh, breaking vote if they have a tie. So 70 people seated in a circle, and they place Peter and John in the middle of them, and they're all stared at. That had to have been uncomfortable. Now, I think I know why they were there. I think I know why they found themselves in this spot. You know why? I believe with all my heart they were praying for those men to be saved. I really do. You say, those men, they pray for those men? Those men are crucified Jesus. Yes, we're supposed to pray for our enemies. 
We're supposed to love those who do wrong things to us and abuse us and, t- and talk ugly and say all manners of evil against us. We're supposed to pray for them and love them. Y'all know that. So what were they doing? They're praying for these men on the Sanhedrin. They're praying for the high priest. They're praying for all of them to get saved. They said, Lord, we know they crucified you, but they need salvation too. So they were praying for an opportunity to preach the gospel to these men, and guess what? The only way they could do that is to get arrested. That's it. They weren't going to get there no other way. They had to get arrested first. You say, oh, that's shameful. They got arrested. No, it's not shameful. I know plenty of preachers in this country that have been arrested for preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know some have been arrested many, many times. Why? Because they were bold. Not because they broke the law. No, but because they hurt people's ears. Not with the loudness of their voice, but with the things that they said. They hurt their ears. They didn't want to hear about God ruling over them. They didn't want to hear about they need to get right with God. They didn't want to hear about, about they had to accept the Savior in their place. They didn't want to hear about it. And so they complained. They called the cops, and the cops arrested and took them to jail. And these men were arrested. But you know what? I see that they offered no resistance. Not a bit. They wouldn't argue with them. Say, hey, this is unjust. He was waiting on the lawyer. Here's about this. They wouldn't do none of that stuff. You wait till I talk so, boy. It'll get you. No, they didn't do none of that. They didn't threaten nobody. They wouldn't call in for a revolution to occur. I think I think when in, in the garden when Peter drawed out that sword, started trying to chop that dude's ear off, and he was swinging that sword, Jesus told him to put it up. I think that ought to settle it on the revolution business. I don't think that we're called to do that. Now, keep in mind, they come to my door, they're going to meet a bullet. Amen. I hope you feel the same way about protecting your own family. But I'm here to tell you, I'm not going after anybody. Amen. I'll stand and protect my own, but I'm not going after anybody. That's not how God wants us to do things. So, here they are. They're standing in the middle of 70 members of the Sanhedrin plus the high priest. Just as Jesus had done at his mock trial, same, same place, same, uh, same, same kind of circumstances. And then these men asked them the perfect question to Peter to begin to preach. They opened the door for him. They gave, they gave him a wide open door. Listen to what they asked him in verse 7. When they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Now, now, I want you to look at that verse. It says, by what power? Y'all remember when we talked about those two Greek words, dunamis and exousius? Dunamis meaning dynamite power, explosive power, power like that, and then exousius meaning authority. So they're saying here, by what, what power? They were actually, I really think they were asking about what magic did you do this? And the reason I think they were asking like what magic you did this is because I don't think they believed that they were working for God at all. I think that because they had condemned Jesus to death as an imposter, and these they knew these men were associated with him, I think they truly believed they were working on the power of magic. So what power did you, how did you do it? We've been knowing this man all his life. What, what power did you conjure up to make this man stand up? Or by what name, what authority have you done this? Because you don't have no authority. Y'all are just a bunch of scrubby little fishermen. Who in the world do you think you are coming up in here causing this big ruckus in our temple? Now, Peter, because he was a spirit-filled man, because he's filled with the Spirit of God, he heard their contempt-filled question, and he recognized 
that God was opening a door of opportunity right before him. God used this opportunity to glorify himself. Look at what happened. I mean, they, 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 they couldn't have a better audience. I mean, it's just like Paul when he stood before Agrippa. They, well, they couldn't have had a better audience. I mean, they were right there in the center. It's as if they said, hey, we want to bring you down here and put you down here and let you preach Jesus to us. That ain't what they said. That ain't what they thought was going to happen. But that's exactly what happened. Amen. So, like I said, number one, they were submissive to the persecution. They didn't fight back. They realized there's a reason for this. Number two, they found their strength in the Holy Ghost of God. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 tells us that Peter was filled with the Holy Ghost. How does a believer get filled with the Holy Ghost? I, like, I heard a preacher say this. I like this. I'm going to read it to you. It said, it's the default position for a broken, humbled, selfless, weak, impotent believer in a dire situation. I have come, in other words, I have come to the end of my whole strength and everything. i got nothing here. I am in a mess. What am I going to do? Oh, God, help me. And when we come to the point where we have nothing to stand up and say, I can do this or I can do that, or, or my opinion or my strength, we run out of all of it, and it's just, oh, God, you've got to help me. Fill me, use me. And when we put ourselves in his hand, God fills us and uses us. Amen. God ain't going to do anything with you as long as you're full of yourself. As long as you're full of your ideas, your strength, and yourself, God can't do a thing with you. But when you begin to realize that he's in the first place, and what he says goes, and what he wants to do is best, and he will never mistreat you, and he wants to use you and get the best out of your life. When you finally realize that and you submit yourself and say, God, I'm in your hands, God can do great things with you. See, Peter, Peter wasn't trying to convince him of his point of view. He was glorifying Jesus. I think he must have remembered the words of Jesus in Matthew 10, 17 through 20, where Jesus said this. Jesus said, but beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils. And they will scourge you in their synagogues. And if you be brought before governors and kings for my sake for a, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles, he said, and when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what you shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. I think he thought back on that and remembered that and said, hey, I shouldn't be worried a bit. God's going to give me what to say. And that's exactly what happened. Peter submitted himself to God. He didn't resist. He said, God hope to hear for this reason. He at this moment. He realized he let God use him. And he opened his mouth and God put the words there to say. You can't be afraid of what God wants you to do. God's got something for you. He's got something for me. Don't be afraid of what he wants you to do. Yield yourself to God's Holy Spirit. Let him be your courage. Let him be your boldness. Let him be your strength in that hour. He's placed them there. He's placed them in that midst. And he's given them the power of the Holy Ghost. Now they have to trust him. They have to trust him. I mean, listen, it, it, it's, it's, I ain't going to paint it to be lighter than it is. This is a dicey situation. You realize? I mean, listen, it's very, these men had the power to kill them. These men had the power to make these men disappear. They truly did. They had, they had the legal power. Just like any one of us. A black van or a black car pick up, pull up, pick us up, we're gone. Nobody ever know what happened to us if they wanted to. 
It could happen any day, any time to anybody. But you see, these people, they weren't worried about it. They were not worried about it. Listen to me. They were there to boldly proclaim the gospel. i got a few minutes left. Give me your time and attention, and we'll get done. Peter and John were not worried about anybody's feelings. You hear me? We live in an hour where everybody's worried about their feelings. We don't want to hurt nobody's feelings. Oh, their blessed little feelings. Listen, my feelings got hurt when I realized how lost I was. You know, I thought I was good. And God showed me I was a lost, dirty, rotten sinner. I hurt my feelings for a second, then I got over it and realized I need to be saved. Amen? They weren't worried about it. Listen, they're going to tell the truth if it makes everybody in the place sick. They're going to tell the truth. They weren't trying to be culturally sensitive. Well, we want to make sure we're culturally appropriate and we don't hurt these men's feelings. No, they weren't worried about that. They weren't trying to be seeker-friendly. Well, let's, we go, you know, they, they weren't trying to accommodate them. They were trying to tell what God had said, sent them to do. They weren't trying to win friends and influence people. They were there to represent the Most High God. The Bible says in verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, listen to what he said, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel. You are the people representing God's chosen people. He said, If we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man. If you brought us in here because we, we healed, we were responsible for this man's healing who's been laid his whole life. I mean, he, he's now a healthy adult. He doesn't have to sit out here and beg anymore. It's a good thing that happened to him. If that's the reason you brought us in here and you're now got us standing before you scrutinizing us. Hmm. Hmm. He says, by what means he's made whole. If that's what it's all about, how this guy got healed, he said, be it known unto you all. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified. No, not the Roman soldiers. Not the Romans that drove the nails in his hands. No, it was you that sent him away to be crucified. It was you that sent him to death. It was you that cried, crucify him, crucify him. It was you. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom ye crucified. And by the way, let me say to you this morning, yes, they crucified him, but it was me and you as well. Every single one of us, our sin nailed him to that cross. Our sin kept him on that cross. He died for you. He died for me. He said, by this man, even by this, by him does this man stand here before you whole. Jesus did it. It wasn't me. Jesus did it. He said, this is the stone. By the way, he's quoting Psalm 118, verse 82, when he says, this is the stone which was set at naught of you builders which has become the head of the corner. He's the chief cornerstone, and you rejected him. You called him a, an imposter and a liar. And he said, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now listen to me, and I'm about to wrap up. He preached the bold truth of the gospel in the face of persecution. He didn't let it stop him. He didn't wonder what was going to happen next. He did what God sent him to do. He preached Jesus in the face of those who hated him. He preached the truth. He preached them guilty. 
You crucified your Messiah. God raised him from the dead. He preached repentance to them. They must repent. He preached the power of the name of Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. There's power in the name of Jesus. Jesus can set somebody free. Jesus can set you free from your guilt and your sin. Jesus can set you free from your misery that you brought on yourself. Jesus can take a broken life that is headed nowhere and turn it into something that's useful and glorious for the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Not only did Peter preach the gospel, but he preached the way narrow. You hear what he said? Neither is there salvation in any other. There ain't nobody in this temple can save you. <laughs> for, there is, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He preached a narrow gospel in the center of his murderers. Not plus this or minus that, just Jesus. There's people all over town today in different, different outfits that are preaching that you've got to have Jesus and this, or you've got to have Jesus and do this, or only in this church, or, or are you getting a bad history, or whatever they're going to say you've got to do in order to be saved. If it's plus, if it's Jesus plus anything, it nullifies the salvation on the cross. Because if you add anything to it, you cancel it out. If you take anything from it, you cancel it out. It's Jesus, 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 all day long, and only Jesus. I like what a preacher said, Dr. Tony Hudson. He said, he said, you know what, I'm narrow on the gospel. I'm narrow. I'm so narrow, I'm not fair on the bridge of my nose and kick both eyeballs at the same time. That's how narrow I am. Amen. I'm narrow, too. Amen. I don't monkey around about the gospel. Amen. It, listen, it, it won't save you unless it's right. Jesus is alive. We're to stand for the gospel, regardless of what it costs us. Neither is there salvation in any other. Nobody else can see. Like I said, on any, on any important truth in the Bible, the devil will either get you to stop too short of it, or he'll get you to go too far of it. Somebody say, well, you know, you don't understand. I'm a good person. I've done a lot of good things in my life. I mean, I don't, I don't know that I need to believe on Jesus to get to heaven because I've been a good person all my life. I've done all kinds of good things to help other people. Well, that's minus something. Hey, listen, hey, I mean, that's, my, that's on the, the minus side. You're saying, I don't even need Jesus. I'm good over here. You go to hell. You'll split hell wide open. There'll be no hope for you. you but you say, but I, I'm trusting Jesus and I'm trusting this experience I had in the floor rolling around in this church. I'm sorry. That experience you had that you're trusting alongside Jesus is going to nullify your faith in Jesus. You say, I'm trusting Jesus and my baptism. I'm not trusting my baptism. My baptism, listen, I'm going to tell you something. I don't know if y'all, y'all heard about I'm going to, y'all live in Clarksville. Y'all know about Clarksville water. Y'all like Clarksville water? You think that can wash sin off? Y'all don't think that can wash sin away? I know y'all don't. Listen, most, most public water systems, you've got a microscope out, you can see toilet paper floating in it. I'm telling you, that stuff don't wash no sins away. You add anything to it, you've nullified grace. Listen, the devil will tell you that you're good enough on your own, you don't need Jesus to be saved, 
He's a liar. And all of his works, all uh, uh, for all of your works, all of your righteousness, everything you've ever done, the Bible says, is his filthy rags. All those things that he'll tell you you've got to do. Some extra biblical experience, speaking some mystical language. It's nonsense. You've got to be watching the blood of Jesus, and that's all that will save you. So I ask you this morning, to you that are sitting here and those who are listening by way of the Internet, what are you trusting for your soul's salvation? Are you trusting anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone? Because if you are, then you need to get born again. Because whatever you got ain't going to save you. I'm here to tell you, you can't get to heaven without the Lord Jesus Christ's blood covering your sins, washing them away. And the only way to do it is come in faith, repentance and faith, repenting of your way and believing on Him. That's the only way. Church membership, you can be church. You, listen, you can, you can join every church in the county. You can get baptized whatever cat's hole in the creek knows your social security number backwards and forwards, and it ain't going to change you one bit. Oh, you'll get sweat. All your ideas may soothe your conscience, but God will reject your ideas and your feelings. Jesus paid it all. Simple as that. John 3.36 divides the world into two groups, just two kinds of people. There's the first part. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. I've, I've demonstrated this before, and I'll use this stool for an example. Y'all believe this is a stool? All right, it's wooden. I mean, it. I believe it's a stool. Y'all believe it's a stool. But the only way we can prove and really believe on it, we can believe in it. We can say, I believe. I think so, poor preacher. That looks like a wooden stool to me. We believe in it. But we're going to believe on it. That means something else. That means trust me. Now, I don't know who all sat on this weapon. It might be Ricky. It might not hold me up. But I, I have confidence in it. So I'm going, to, I'm going to believe on the wooden stool. I hit the floor. Trust me. Because when you got up this morning, and if it was dark, and you went over to that light switch, you believed on the electricity to come on. That's why you flipped it up without thinking. Right? You just, I have faith it's going to be there. I paid the bill. Amen? When you come to Christ, you've got to believe. When you believe on him, that means, Jesus, I'm putting all of my sins on you. I can't wash my sins away. I can't get rid of my sin. I know that you guys paid the debt for me, so I'm putting my sin on you. I'm trusting you. You're essentially saying to Jesus, if I go to hell, it'll be all your fault because I'm trusting you completely. He won't let you down. He won't fail you. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It doesn't mean he he gets it when he dies. It means it is right then. When you got saved, regardless of when it was, You've got everlasting life that moment. The devil can't touch it. He can't take it away. But then there's the second group. So the first group believes on Christ and has everlasting life. And then the second group, the Bible says, he that believeth not the Son. So I think Jesus is a good man. That don't get you to heaven. That ain't believing on him. I believe Jesus was a prophet. That don't get you to heaven. I believe Jesus was a good teacher. That don't get you to heaven. No, he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. That means he won't see heaven. He will not see the streets of gold. He will not 
be there with the loved ones that have gone before. He shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. That means God's anger, it remains on him, it stays on him, it stays on him, it stays on him. Somebody might say, why would God send somebody to a place like that? And I would say, why would somebody reject God's free offer of salvation and go there on their own volition because they had a way out and they wouldn't choose it because of their pride? God's not unjust. We're unjust. So there's only two groups. And the question is, which group are you in? If you're not in the right group, let me tell you something. Don't, don't, don't worry about what anybody thinks about you. Everybody in this room would be thrilled if you got saved. Somebody on this Internet listening to us, listen, we, everybody in this room would be thrilled if you got saved. We'd love to hear from you if you get saved. I'm here to tell you, today's the day of salvation. That clock's ticking. Christ is coming. This world is ending. We need to get saved. If you're not saved, get saved. If you, if you are saved... For all, by all means, tell somebody else how to be saved. Let's do let's let's work for God before He comes and gets us. Before the before the the quitting time whistle sounds and it's time to go home, and we got to got to reckon up to find out what we did or didn't do. Let's take care of business for God. Let's stand together, regardless of what comes, regardless of what it costs us. God will always make it worthwhile to serve Him. We're going to sing a song of invitation here in just a moment. And as we do, if God's dealing with you, you come to this altar and pray. God will meet you there. If you need me to pray with you, I'll pray with you. I'll be glad to. Whatever you need this morning, but don't, don't just switch it on. Let's do this. Father, please bless the invitation. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the message, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that you can use it in our lives. Lord, give us courage. Holy Ghost of God, give us courage, Lord, that in this hour we live in, Lord, and I know that the political winds are not in our favor at the moment. Father, I realize that the culture of this world is, is not favorable to us. Lord, help us not to shrink back into obscurity because we're afraid of what's out there. Lord, let us not be afraid to, to lift you up, to share you with others. Lord, help us to be bold in this hour we live in. Help us to be valued Christians for you. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. Deal with our hearts today. Work during this invitation. We pray in Jesus. Amen. 383. 383. Jesus made it all. I give the Savior Yeah.
paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white 